from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Small. My guest is legendary hip-hop artist and entrepreneur, Be Real. Now, Be Real is probably best known for being the lead rapper in the group Cypress Hill, with such classic raps as Insane in the Brain and Here is Something You Can't Understand. But one of those seminal raps led to a whole new persona. Hello, my name is Dr. Green Tom. I'd like to tell you just where I'm from in the hills where the trees grow wild with me. Build the pigs with shields holding the blue steel. Greenhouse effect with the seed. Dr. Green Thumb is a purveyor of all things cannabis. And it eventually led to a whole product line and a line of dispensaries throughout California and also a media empire that includes a podcast, a live streaming site called Be Real TV, and a TV show on Vice called Bong Appetit. So I caught up with Be Real recently to find out what he's got going on these days, including opening a new Dr. Green Thumbs location in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We also talk about the habits of highly successful entrepreneurs like himself and his advice to those of you thinking about getting into the cannabis business. So without further delay, I bring you my interview with the legend, Be Real. So Be Real, welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. Thank you for having me. So thank you so much for being here. Really excited to talk to you. I want to just take our uh, listeners back a little bit, a little bit of the origin story of Dr. Green Thumb in case they are not aware of it. My understanding is it, it really started off as a as a song, right? Early on, there's a great classic rap called Dr. Green Thumb. Can you take me a little bit through kind of the origin of that song and how it kind of grew into a whole business? Yeah, we were working on, um, on um, I'm going to say maybe it's our fourth album, Dr. Green Thumb is on. <laughs> Correct. There's so many now. And when I was working on the album, when we were working on the album, I was doing a lot of early daytime sessions because I don't really like to work late at night anymore. I like to, you know, get it done early. I'm an early riser, so I, I try to work early. So I got to the beat. I mean, I got to the studio hours before anybody else got in. And Muggs had left uh, the music in the, in the studio ready for me when he got in because he knew I had the tendency to come in early before everyone. And I heard the beat and it was immediately impactful on me. Had an idea immediately from it. And the verses came first. The actual verses came first. So the first, very first line was hello, my name is Dr. Green Thumb. That became the title because it seemed like so natural just to to make that the chorus as well. And in doing that song, I realized that I created a persona for myself because I was growing cannabis. I was blowing up my backyards. I was getting into the indoor growing with one of my partners who is my partner in, in the business today, Kenji Fujishima. And we've been cultivating since way back then. So when that song came about, it actually became a, a tribute to our squad who was uh, cannabis cultivators and stuff like that. And we were all green thumb, really. And I just took on the persona and I made it my alter ego. And from the alter ego, well, from the song came the video. From the video, that's when I created the alter ego, with the image with the afro and the teeth and glasses, the green thumb image you see now without the teeth. 
Green Thumb got paid, so the teeth got fixed. (laughs) (laughs) So after that, I started throwing a number of events under the Green Thumb brand. As Dr. Green Thumb, I was throwing parties, throwing events with the Guerrilla Union. We threw a Dr. Green Thumb spring spring gathering or something like that a while back. So I was always in, it burst from the song into cannabis space sort of organically. And I figured after creating the brand as alter ego and as as an event, as a Dr. Green Thumb presents or whatever, I I decided when... um, 215 came in into California and cannabis was not necessarily legal, but it was now accepted and decriminalized and now it's medical, you know, and that's when I decided to put my the Dr. Green Thumb brand to action in the cannabis industry. And I started putting out little shit here and there like edibles and then eventually our flower. But all of it was obviously black market at that point with the exception of what we were able to get into shops. But it all started from there, man. And and um, I'll say what, when it really started to take hold in terms of the transition from music into cannabis was when I was uh, doing um, this strain called Jet Fuel with the former partner of mine. We entered cannabis cups with it. We did all the high times events. And that sort of started the Green Thumb brand in actual having the product that would be on the counter. And, and I started creating other brands after that. But that that was basically transition from the music into the industry. And it, it was natural to me because I've always been an activist and an advocate. And, you know, before I was into to the music, professionally anyway, I was into cannabis and slanging it, growing it, every aspect of it. Yeah, that's been such a secret to your success is that it's always been just who you are right? Like your business has always just been a kind of extension of who you are as a person. It's just very natural and organic rather than like kind of putting on like a persona that's not real, you know, like I'm going to be the cannabis rapper and just like, but I mean, no, it's, that was like your thing. Were you guys kind of early adopters to like the whole cannabis scene or was that just what was happening growing up? For us, that was just what was happening. It was just what was happening. We were all um, like on our block, it was all mixed culture of kids, you know, where we hung out on Cypress Ave. And most of us were stoners. Most of us read High Times magazine, not just for the the centerfolds of the herb and all that stuff, but for the articles, for every aspect of it. And and we got to learn about people that eventually would become our teachers, like Ed Rosenthal, like Chef Ra, like Steve Bloom, like, and most importantly, Jack Herrera. And even Dennis Perrault, we were all introduced to all those guys who educated us early on what the cannabis movement really was, aside from just smoking casually and having fun. We learned all the ins and outs and, and what people should actually know. And, and, and we tried to spread the, the things that they taught us. Yep. So eventually, Dr. Green Thumbs became dispensaries in the California area. How did you kind of want to make your dispensaries different than the the others that were out there? Well, for a lot of the shops that existed early on, man, it, you know, God bless them, but some of them felt sketchy to walk in. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> totally. I had been into many and I didn't want that for our um, retail front. You know, I wanted everybody to feel comfortable and like there was a flow and a good energy to it. So from the staff to the aesthetic, we made sure we trained everybody properly. They can have a conversation with people asking them important questions to them into what they're consuming or, or what should they be or what the suggestions for their type of situation, whether they be a, a rookie stoner, novice, semi or pro. We try to have a, a staff that can deal with everybody. And then most importantly, when you walk into the shop, we wanted it to be eye-catching and pleasing and, and a feeling of safety. So, you know, my partners and with uh, the layout that we had for our Silmar shop, we uh 
slowly but surely kept upgrading until we got to a point where, okay, this is it. And then all the other shops will follow suit with that. But we just wanted to make it a place where people felt good. And on top of getting good product, just feeling a good energy there. And and for the most part, we've been able to achieve that. So you mentioned you've got shot in Silmar, but you've just recently expanded to Tulsa, Oklahoma, which seems kind of like on first glance, like a little bit of a random choice, like Tulsa, Oklahoma, you know, but but Tulsa has an incredible history, actually. Yeah. Tell me why you chose Tulsa. I'd like to think of it more as Tulsa chose us. Hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And we felt it was it was great because, you know, where Tulsa sits in terms of, of bordering, you know, Texas, a lot of people in Texas, you know, want that green thumb experience. They want to try those buyer brands that are from Cali and as well as the people in Oklahoma. But the plan would be eventually to get into Oklahoma City. But, you know, we felt Tulsa would be a great place because, you know, we would have a fair share of people from Oklahoma coming, but we would have a whole lot of people from Texas coming through. And it was just a matter of strategic positioning and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it it was, uh, you know, our brand is growing and people are hearing about it. I mean, obviously, Cookies is probably the biggest brand in the industry right now, but we're pretty much right behind them. And, you know, if where there's a cookies, there might be a green thumb because the two go hand in hand. It's like we work together on so many levels and we support each other's brands on so many levels. So when you see one, most likely, eventually you'll see the other. Well, you mentioned cookies is interesting because that's there's such a, you know, obviously both brands are connected to hip hop, like literally from the founders or our rappers. What is it about hip hop that lends itself so much to weed? Like, why is weed such a popular thing within hip-hop like why do artists rap about it so much the best album is called the chronic you know i mean (laughs) well a lot of us grew up with it so it's a part of our experience and and some of us we write about our experiences even to the littlest shit and for us it was a part of who we were and we happened to blast the doors open fortunately for for people that felt the same way about cannabis and so it's like anything else when we had our success and talking about cannabis and being smoke spokesman or spokesman, if you want, <laughs> that's good. It became a thing where you know, in hip hop, if you wanted to be taken serious or validated, a lot of people thought you had to talk about weed. So there's a lot of people that came after us who weren't even weed smokers, who weren't advocates, but they thought they had to talk about herb because herb was the popular thing. Now, other artists such as Reds, New Meth, Burner, um, Wiz Khalifa, Currency, and so many others, they were sincere and they helped push the movement as well through their advocacy and through their songs. And I think the more people started talking about cannabis in the songs, the more normalized it became. And it was less taboo. And, you know, people were more educated about it. So we just pretty much in hip hop carried the torch on from what reggae carried the torch on from jazz in terms of talking about cannabis. I mean, you know, the hip hop wasn't the first. We were just the ones that were able to break through and push through to the the mainstream with the message. Has cannabis made you a better artist, like a better lyricist, better uh, rapper? God, I hope not, because if if I were to stop today, man, I'd be fucking in trouble. (laughs) It's a part of my DNA, man. In terms of cannabis, I never used it to lean on it in that regard, like, you know, to make me more creative or or any of that. Like, I always try to be even without it. If I didn't have it, I'm an artist, so I have to be creative. What it does is that it puts me in a relaxed mode and a more focused mindset, you know, to where I'm going to concentrate on this song and I'm not going to do anything else 
because I'm in the zone. And that's what the cannabis does for me. But if I didn't have it, it, it wouldn't, I wouldn't be any less creative. I would just be in a different mindset when I'm writing. And I don't know if that's better or worse, but I try to keep it even kilt because again, you know, let's just say I decided to quit tomorrow, but still be an advocate. I still got to be able to deliver those ice cold rhymes. <laughs> so what are, what are THC controls? That's kind of a new thing you guys are you guys are introducing. Well, it's a control system, so you can keep control and pretty much be locked in and in sync to with what your your grow is doing, with what your cultivation is doing. So it's automated and it has the sensors to um, tell you everything that's going on in the room, from your lighting to your nutrients to every aspect of it. So if somebody, so let's just say someone's using THC controls, and let's just say. Um, Colorado, but we are in control of the cultivation from here in California. We can see where they might have messed up a cycle or they put too much of this nutrient in or not enough of this or that. So it keeps us pretty much in, locked in with what is going on in the cultivation. It's one of the one of the best control systems out there. And we use it in our main facility and other brands that we have relationships with are also adding THC controls to their cultivation. Because again, if you're trying to have consistency and you have, uh, let's just say three or four cultivation centers and you, you're trying to have everyone stick to the SOPs because that's obviously where you're going to get your consistency in your product by sticking to the things that work. And sometimes when you do cultivation deals or licensing deals or whatever for, for genetics, so everybody has their own sort of formula in terms of you know how they feed or what sort of nutrients they're using and whatnot. And if we're doing the deals and we want our insane product to be exactly as it is that we produce in California, this is our way of making sure that we're keeping all the cultivators honest and saying, hey, if you want to get this amount per light, if you want to get these trichomes, if you want to get these flavor notes and all that, you have to stick with this. And this is a way for us to dial it in and see what everybody's doing right or wrong. And this is not just for us. This is obviously if any company were to install THC controls, you know, you would have the control center where you can pretty much supervise everything that's going on. Sure, you still have to have people hands-on in the cultivation. There's no doubt about it. There's no way that any cultivation is going to be fully automated because that would be stupid. You need people there. But to do the shit that could be automated, this is the perfect thing. And it will help people keep their shit extra tight. And we live by it. So it's a new tech. I mean, there's a lot of control systems and stuff, but we feel ours is, is on the one. So we're very proud of that. And we look forward to um, inviting other people to try it. All right, I want to take a little bit deeper into you as an entrepreneur and how you've had so much success because a lot of rappers or athletes or actors, performers, you know, they're very good at one thing, but then like that career ends or whatever, and they're not good at other things. But you have also exceeded beyond probably everybody's expectations as an entrepreneur and you continue to succeed and you also still have your rap career growing. So, but I want to get a little bit of understanding of how you've been so successful. Do you have, you know, like sometimes a lot of successful people have like habits, you know, they, they do certain things in a certain way. Do you have anything like that, that you do that you could share with our listeners? It's much like um, athletes have a ritual before they go into a game, right? There's certain things that they do because they feel it gives them good mojo. So for me, I try to get up early. I try to work out. I try to do my morning prayer and all that shit and then get my mind right for whatever business that, I, that, that has to be done that day, whether it's the podcast, whether it's recording new music or dealing something 
dispensary or cultivation related. I mean, you know, for me, it's always just being able to be flexible to keep working and to be motivated to work because everything you do, obviously it takes the time that you put into it. So with music, I put in a fuckload of time, as you would know, and with cannabis as well. And into the podcasting in terms of creating content, I've been doing that for 10 years. So I've always just found my Zen place in work mode, if you will. So, you know, I like to keep things moving and, and cause to me, when I'm not doing something, I feel stagnant and I, I feel like shit is just moving so quickly in front of me. So, you know, I don't like to get left behind in shit. So for me, I just like to keep things moving. I, you know, I, we, I think all of us in Cypress Hill, in terms of band members, um, we're all very hard workers in terms of what we want to do. So if it's music or if it's anything else, we have a mindset and we go to it and we don't let anything get in our way of it. We don't relent if we feel strongly about it. So it's just about still having the passion and the love for what we're doing, but still wanting to work. There's some people that hate their fucking jobs and that are sick of it and they can't wait to be finished doing it. And like the day they can retire and shit like that for guys like us. I mean, the love is in the work. We want to work. We don't want to stop. I mean, you know, we got what we got. And some of us are well off that we don't have to, but we love to. And I think that's the difference between our generation. Generation before us hated work. They knew they had to do it, but they hated it. This generation, I think a lot of us love it because we didn't have shit. So if we let go of the thing that got us there, you know, what do we have after that? You know, some of us are very paranoid, like, fuck, we might lose everything. We got to keep work. What's the thing that of all the things you do that you kind of like the least and how have you pushed through it? Uh, that I've liked the least. Um, that I mean, one. like, what's a part, what's a part of the business that, that is the biggest pain in the ass for you? Well, for music, it's the fucking politics and, and the cannabis industry, the same thing, man. Um, there's a whole lot of fucking politics that jump off, a lot of hater shit in the cannabis industry, you know, cock blocking and so many obstacles that, I mean, look, here's the thing. Speaking to all those people out there watching, you could never grow enough cannabis. You could never have enough retail stores to fill the need of everyone that smokes cannabis. So there is no need for the fucking greed. There is room for all of us. And to see people get fucking greedy the way they do, it's, it's disheartening because this, this industry wasn't about that early on. And now it very much is. And, it, and it's, it's very hurtful to see people act this way like they gotta fucking take all the money you ain't never gonna take all the money you can't grow it all yourself there's just no way so that's one of the the fucked up parts is the politics and the greed in the cannabis industry and in terms of the music industry it's just the bullshit with the, it's not it's uh, we already know a lot of it is driven by greed too i mean every major business unfortunately is the thing with with music is that especially as it relates to hip hop, is that as you get older, you get less relevant. And the media doesn't help with that because they actually help usher you the fuck out too and bring in the new people. No other genre does this except for hip hop. And it's funny because it, it almost feels like it's that's perpetuated because they want these young cats that aren't experienced, that don't know too much about life, that you know are coming and making cool, catchy songs, but steering people in a fucking, steering other kids in a fucked up direction. Right. As opposed to where you get artists who have been around that are experienced and, and, and now older and they're talking about some positive shit, trying to direct them in a positive light and give them guidance. They don't want that shit. So they usher us out because they don't want us telling their kids good shit. 
because the reality is this most of the the radio stations and record companies that exist today are invested in private prisons and the way to get their money is put out music that is causing young folks to do dumb shit you know to be like some of these rappers who ain't even living the lives they're talking about you know what i mean and if you're invested in the private prison what do you want to do you want to fill it so you take the positive energy, the positive music, the positive content, concepts, anything, and you rip that shit off of the radio or anywhere else, and you put all this other bullshit that either is celebrating drug, real drug use, not cannabis use, but real drug use, or like just some mindless bullshit that means nothing so that, you know, you're distracted and you're out there trying to be like your favorite rapper who says he's fucking selling a hundred bricks a month and he's got five mansions and 20 fucking strippers in the crib at all times. I mean, you know, that's what they're trying to get to. And some of them, let's just be be 1,000 about it. Some of them are hustling and trapping and, and selling pills, selling Coke, selling Molly, selling all that shit, going straight to jail. Right, just perpetuating the system. Just what these motherfuckers want. And that is the fuck part of the music industry. And it's been that way for the last 15 to 20 years, unfortunately. But yeah, those are the two, my main issues with both industries. Just real quick, what about the black market industry? Does that help? I mean, you you obviously you mentioned you had been part of that market at one time. Does that industry hurt, you think, cannabis, the legal cannabis industry that you're in, or is it sort of necessary? It hurts it, yeah. I think it hurts those of us that are legal, that have our licenses, not the rogue shop, but the licensed shop. It's a shame, but it is what it is, man. You know, there's there's people that don't want to come into the light, into the white market. They want to stay in the black. They don't want to pay taxes. And if you got that fire, that gas, you can charge a whole lot more per pound in the black market. But the problem is, is, is anyone that's buying that shit, you don't know if it's safe. You don't know if it's clean. You don't know if it's contaminated. But a lot of these black market cultivators, they're smart. They do put out clean shit. Their reputations are on the line. So you have awesome black market cultivators competing with awesome white market cultivators. It's just that, you know, people are going to make their choice. They're either going to go to the black market shit or they're going to go to the shops. And I find, obviously, we'd like people to come into the shops and stuff like that. But, you know, as long as the black market exists and it always will, you're going to have that. They just have to. I think what the state here in California is going to have to do for it to not affect us so much is lower the fucking taxes. We are one of the highest taxed industries in California for no fucking reason. And I don't get it. Gavin. Newsom needs to change that shit. The state legislation needs to change that shit. Half, half of the money for the state since COVID, it came from tax dollars from right essential from, business. Uh, the cannabis. Yeah, yeah, from essential businesses, which is the cannabis industry has been deemed essential. And I would venture to say that aside from let's just say the gas and in the grocery industry, whatever fuel and groceries and 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 those type of essentials, cannabis is right there making fucking money for the state and the city. And the fact is the consumer and the operator are getting taxed unfairly and they need to change that shit. And I think when they do that, the black market probably won't affect us as much here in California. I can't really speak for every other state, but. Right. No, it's a problem here for sure. Well, wise words. Okay. To to end here, a little reading list from, from Be Real. Any any books that you've read over the years that have really changed your life, made you a better entrepreneur, made you a better person? Anything you can recommend for our listeners? 
Oh man, I read mostly on tour. I haven't been on tour in a minute since this whole shit started. So, well, since before. Well, coming up as an entrepreneur, did you ever read anything that or that really helped kind of shift the way you do business? I had mentors that give me good advice. You know, like I'll read books like on that shit, but sometimes you might read a fucking book and peel the wrong page out and not know how to navigate what is uh, being instructed by this book. You know what I mean? But what you can do is is take ideas from some of these books and apply them, all the like good ideas, the simple thing. What were some of the best advice you ever got? You remember from like some of these mentors that you had? Anybody ever tell you things early on? Basically, be honest with who you are to yourself and to the people that are around you and you're doing business with and be consistent and don't be wishy-washy. Be real and be real. <laughs> you yeah, are don't real. be wishy-washy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, be real. Thank you. It is always, I mean, it's a pleasure to meet you and to talk to you. And I'm just looking forward to all the, we're going to see coming out of your, uh, your empire. And uh, maybe next time I'm in Tulsa, I'll, I'll hit up a Dr. Green Thumb if I can get out of, if I can get out of California. Hell yeah, man. Hey, thank you very much for having me, man. And I want to send peace and blessings to everyone out there, man. Positive vibes always. And vote. Vote. All right. Thank you, man. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com. Check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Green Entrepreneur. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, check out my other podcast, Right About Now, that's W-R-I-T-E, to get some in-depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers, how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. That's rightaboutnowmedia.com. Until next episode, we'll THC you later.